Views expressed by Casters Guild members are only the opinions of that member, and that could change from day to day. Guild members may use mature language, but that in no way means they are mature. Listener discretion is advised. Often when focusing on our day-to-day lives, we can forget to take care of ourselves. And when addressing the needs of ourselves and others, mental and emotional needs often get overlooked. So we need to make sure we make these things a priority. And that's the spell we're casting tonight on Casters Guild. Thank you for tuning in tonight's episode of Caster's Guild. I am your guild master, Rick Perry, and I have an entire alphabet's worth of disorders. And I am your guild master, Baron Kane, and I am in denial. And joining us tonight is a returning guild member. Feel free to introduce yourself. I'm guild member Ashley Kane, and I have all the personality disorders. All of them. Even that one? Not, even that one. Hmm. The, the E. Wow. Wow. So tonight we're covering mental health. It's often overlooked, like I said in the intro. I honestly can't believe it took us this long to talk about it here. Probably because it's a difficult thing to talk about. I think really what it is, it's a difficult thing to approach. And I, you and I have talked about it quite a bit. Yeah, and just not as a, just not as the topic. Right, 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 right. And even not in the podcast, we've talked about it. Yeah. But I don't think it really ever occurred to us, like, how would we talk about this? You know, we're just two goofy-ass people who are just trying to make light of most things. But, I mean, this is an important subject. Totally. And it is super uncomfortable. Uh, A lot of people don't know how to broach it. And then they don't know how much to share. Or a lot of people use comedy to kind of bring it up and make it a joke, but not really. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. <laughs> not you at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> because it is so uncomfortable. And it, it doesn't need to be. And with the whole pandemic situation, it's come more into focus, much more into focus. So I, I, I guess thanks, COVID, for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't. I can't believe how much the pandemic has opened people opened people's eyes to things like this. You know, mm-hmm. some of us have been acutely aware of our issues and the things that we're struggling with. But, you know, when you are thrown into isolation and are forced to, you know, dance with your demons, as it were, <laughs> it can get really, you can get really awkward with yourself real fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when you become your only company, when... You have to spend time with yourself for so long. It become you become acutely aware of who you are as a person and what you've got going on inside. Mm-hmm. But I also think with everything being like remote, that is what has made it easier for people to share about things like that. Because you know you have the the keyboard warriors on Facebook that are more than happy calling people out, saying these awful things because they're remote. They're never going to meet these people. I feel like the same might be true with talking about really uncomfortable situations that you have going on in your brain. There's a buffer there. Makes it oh, yeah. easier. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, it's like and I've noticed, you know, talking with people face to face, that's tough. That's mm-hmm. real tough. As soon as you like say let's just say something like this. We're on video. Well, I mean, you know, our listeners don't know we're on video, but we're all on video right now. 
and we're all remote and we're all on video and we're talking to each other. It's it's easier. Not that mm-hmm. I have a problem. Not that I have any issues talking with either of you. I'm both. Yeah, I'm close with both of you. It's real easy for me to talk to you. But this is easier. Mm-hmm. Then you take away the video aspect of it and it's just voice. For some reason, it's even easier. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, you that. And I and I think that my issue with that is like I, I feel like the more you disconnect, the less real it feels. Yes. You know, like I feel like I'm just talking to two television characters right now. <laughs> yeah. Dissociation, uh, while not necessarily a healthy thing. <laughs> maladaptive coping mechanism that can happen mm-hmm. but i mean that's essentially the idea of traumatic survival you mm-hmm. dissociate yourself from the situation to just get through it and yes. then there's all kinds of fallout in the end i mean I've, so, if i've said it once i've said it a hundred times when it comes to this podcast this this is therapy for me i mean like there's a lot of things i would not talk about if it weren't for this podcast, because I sometimes feel like I can't sit down, even with the people I love the most in the world, I can't sit down and address things face to face. But for some reason, we get down, we do this podcast every week, we talk to each other remotely, and I can open up a whole lot easier. And when COVID came around, I mean, like, we didn't decide to do this podcast because of COVID, but I don't think we would have done it as long, if not for COVID. Like, it, it might have just been something we tried and then go, oh, this isn't for us. But like when it came to COVID, it just hit at just the right time where we both and, you know, everybody we had on as guests just needed somebody to talk to for just a minute. And that whole situation and the fact that it was remote and it was just all created this perfect storm where I just felt open to share. Yeah, that's a really good point. A little bit of background on myself. I was a pain in the ass kid around middle school age, super angry, very angry about a lot of things. And that was a time, you know, mental health wasn't really a thing. I grew up in a family where those things didn't exist. The depression wasn't real, all those sorts of things. So now that we we live in an age where people actually talk about it even more, I'm really appreciative of it. I actually have my teachers in middle school to thank and my family for putting their foot in my ass and getting me through the really hard times when I started to make a lot of trouble, could have, you know, landed in jail and had a very different outcome in adulthood. But after, you know, I got my head out of my ass, I actually ended up with a group of folks who played D&D. I played D&D before, years ago, enjoyed it, but really think that group helped me stay on the straight and narrow. I mean, truth be told, I don't really care for D&D. I prefer cyberpunk, vampire, werewolf. But these games and this group of people kept me from being bored because in London, there's nothing to do but get inebriated, get pregnant, get into trouble. Especially back then. Especially back then, because that was before the internet, folks. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So with... <laughs> The new season of Stranger Things, my God, that hits super close to home. Like, oh, my God, that's so good to see. That is so good to see. And the whole season is based off of trauma. People with trauma getting fucked because they went through some shit. And that's actually what happens in real life. Yep. And And it's it's real easy for people to look at that 
and be like, oh, well, this is about, you know, D&D and the satanic panic. It's like, it goes deeper than that. It goes way deeper than that. Way deeper than that. It's not that it's not about those things. It's it's just that's the surface level. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the jacket that trauma chose to wear this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whole um, thing, life is traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Life itself. People don't realize, well, PTSD is a thing that can happen to people other than veterans. All you have to do is have trauma in your life, survive a traumatic event, something that you perceive as... I, I could have been severely harmed, something that did harm you, but you lived through it. I mean, you can get PTSD from really bad relationships, abusive relationships, narcissistic relationships. You can get PTSD from places that you've worked, something that you see that you didn't actually experience, but you saw it and it was so horrific to you that mm-hmm. your body takes it in as trauma. And I think that a lot of people kind of forget that with kids, too. Because like kids, you know, you want you want to look at something that a kid has went through and be like, well, that wasn't trauma. I was like, okay, but this kid's only been existing for five years. And this thing happened that while isn't traumatizing to us was a complete shock to them. Yes. And now they're all messed up because of it. That's not anybody's fault. It's life. Life happens. But now we have to deal with it. And we have no idea in the mental health community how that happens to some people for one thing and not others. Mm-hmm. Somebody pointed Everybody. out to me or I heard it on a video somewhere and I forget where um, I wish I could credit the person, but they were talking about how we see kids quote unquote overreact to things. And then people say, well, how can they act like this is the, the worst thing ever, you know? And it's like, they've only been alive for however many years. And this literally is for as long as they've been alive, the worst thing that has ever happened to them. Sure, worse things might happen later, and based off of your experiences, it might not seem that bad. But if you consider the experiences they have had up to this point, this literally is the worst thing ever. It's the same reason they act super happy and super excited when good things happen, because it literally is the best thing that has ever happened to them at that Mm -hmm. point in time. So uh, it completely changed my perspective of how I view kids and has helped a lot in raising my own. And in general, I don't think people really realize that the human brain is not fully developed until somebody is in their late 20s and 30s. Your frontal lobe is not fully developed until, yeah, late 20s and 30s. So we are super worried about our adolescents that have, you know, adult bodies, but still kid brains. I, I think I'm still working okay. on my lobe. <laughs> so people just, it, it's a very quick judgment to make without knowing in our limited knowledge of how we know how the brain works, because we still don't know everything mm-hmm. to judge somebody's situation based off of our own recommendations and things that we've experienced through our lens. And there's actually like a scorecard for adverse childhood events, that the more of these events you have, and there's a specific number, the more of these events you have predispose you to possibly later on in life be an alcoholic, abuse drugs, have all these issues later in adulthood that should be assessed early on, but not always happens. Mm -hmm. Like I've never had anybody with 
any of the doctor's appointments I've taken myself or my daughter to do any sort of assessment for adverse childhood events. It's called an ACE assessment. And it's questions like, when you were a child, did anybody in your house, did you see anybody in your house use drugs? Was anybody incarcerated? Did you witness any domestic violence? Did you ever feel like you weren't safe in your house? Did you ever feel like you didn't know where your next meal was coming from? Was anybody in the house mean to you? Like, did they put you down? Did they yell at you? Was, were you, you know, sexually molested by anybody? Just all kinds of these events that could happen. And the higher you score, the higher your likelihood for those difficulties later in life. And it would be super useful if those were looked into and dealt with early on, but it's uncomfortable. And those who would be doing the assessments, I understand, don't want to overstep bounds, but Mm -hmm. they'll say to the parents that bring the kids into the doctor or the parents that kids are in school, your kid answered these, these are their ACE scores. This puts them at a higher risk for things down the road. Get that kid some counseling, get that kid in therapy put those interventions in place a little bit earlier so we don't end up with the large amounts of sick adults that we have now because mental health wasn't a thing back then. Absolutely was not. No. Oh, man. We're we're getting better now. We're getting better. Oh, yeah, much better. Much better. But we have a long way to go. I I just think it's funny, like just a personal experience of mine, you know, I – I, I had done a, I, I do a lot of introspection. You know, I think about, you know, how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling and I was talking to somebody, I won't I won't say who it was, and I was like, you know, I've known this person forever. And uh, I was like, you know, I really think that I have anxiety and depression. And they were like, Well, yeah. Like what what do you mean, well yeah? It's like oh, well, I mean it's it's been kind of obvious. I'm like why didn't we do anything about this? <laughs> there are things that can be done. Oh, I was so confused. I'm grown ass man, hurt and confused because. <laughs> oh man, crazy. Well, if you don't know where to look, and there were very few places to look then, you don't know what kind of help there is. And right. How to get it? Can I afford it? And I mean, when my mom first learned I was in therapy she's like well you were never molested and let me let me kind of interject here with that in mind as a parent and you know I think you guys are parents too I haven't checked but I might have one laying around <laughs> I might have one laying around <laughs> that's something that parents really need to fucking do they need to stop take. I mean, you know, unless you are direct, you know, you're a horrible, horrible person, then feel horrible about it. But you need to you need to step back and keep your feelings in check when we're trying to deal with our kids feelings. Your mm-hmm. feelings don't matter right now. You know, it's like I get it. You're you're going to get your feelings hurt. Your kid is going to do something so simple and it's going to hurt your feelings. Yep. You better be ready for this shit. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you now. I'm and they're not meaning to hurt your feelings, or maybe they are trying to hurt your feelings because you hurt their feelings. You just didn't know. Yeah. You know, be the adult. Don't be a bitch. Suck it up. Yep. You know? Yep. I'm I'm full on ready for the day. My daughter comes to me and says, you remember that thing you said? 
I was really fucked up. And that fucked me up for a really long time. Not, well, no, I didn't. Well, just because you didn't mean mm-hmm. their feelings doesn't mean their feelings weren't hurt. Most people don't mean to rearrange you, but that doesn't mean that didn't happen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I really do feel like for the longest time, a lot of people thought for somebody to be in therapy, man, some bad shit must have happened. Right. No. Mm-mm. It's like, life, well, it, and yeah. life is trauma, it's, it's traumatizing. It's, it's good to have somebody to talk to. What's the, what's that Jeff Goldblum quote? Life uh, finds a way. Did you? <laughs> I've been with my same therapist now for, I, I lost track of how many years, but you know, I started going to her because, you know, I was in a abusive narcissistic relationship that I got out of and there was some damage that needed dealt with that I didn't even realize how deep it went. And then after that damage was dealt with, it's still good to have her around. I talk to her most of the time. It's every other week. Sometimes it's once a month, depending on how hard it is. You know, if you're a student, if you're a parent, if therapy is amazing. And most people do telehealth. If you're not sure if you need therapy, I think everybody benefits from therapy. Give it a shot. Yeah, I I don't think that... It's like, if you have to ask the question, do I need therapy? Just go with yes. Yeah. 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 You probably need therapy. Yeah. And well, even I if you never... don't quote unquote need it, like if you really are going to sit here and be like stubborn and say, I don't need therapy, you could still benefit from it. There's a lot Absolutely. of things in my life I don't necessarily need, but they are still good for me. And like, they still do me. I'm still better with those things than I would be without them, be it therapy or other things. So... Even if you feel like, you know what, I really, really don't need therapy, you could probably still use it and be better off because of it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you may have a, someone close to you. You may have some friends. You may have a partner that's like, you know what, I'm more than willing to listen to what you have to say. But that's nice. Yeah. But it's not what therapy is. No. Just no. like just like D&D isn't therapy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> D&D is well, not therapy. But it can be therapeutic. There. Yeah. It can be therapeutic, but... But what does the expert have to say about this? And I don't mean that sarcastically. <laughs> I'm not an expert, but funny story. There is... <laughs> there's a group called Geek Therapeutics that I no shit ran into by accident about a week ago. And it is like a continuing education thing. So it's, it's headed by licensed therapists. They go around and teach other therapists how to use geek culture for therapy, how to incorporate that in therapy. So some of the breakdowns are, well, how does like character creation inform the patient or the therapist of like uh, self-esteem issues, issues that, you know, they're having that they might not even be aware of. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, when I thought back to most of the characters I made, my characters were always very intelligent, very charismatic, outgoing, and very pretty. Spoiler alert, I have extremely low self-esteem. Always have. And I'm very shy in public. So I make my characters the things I wish I were. So if you have a patient or a person who's in the gaming community, okay, well, what characters are they making? What could that say about them? If you stop and think about just that, those implications, oh my God, that's, that's a lot of information. 
just out in the open that people may not be aware of, especially themselves. That's uh, that's actually pretty funny because, you know, thinking about the characters I make, I generally try to go for like uh, the funny, the quick witted and stuff like that. Problem there is like I do think I'm funny and I do think I'm quick witted, but I also think that those are my best traits. Mm-hmm. So I put my best traits into these characters. Now, these are the like usually my characters that I will make that are just this is my go to. This is this is what I'm used to. This is what I'll do. I will say the one time I made the one time I made a character and he's my favorite character ever because I put a lot of thought into him. The traits I had him have were, you know, he's unassuming, but he has a deep hidden strength. He's noble. He's caring, very heroic, a a loving person, commanding a natural leader, all of these things. And I realize why I like him so much is because those are the traits that I aspire for. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the things that I wish I was. Now, you know, regardless of what other people say, like, if I have someone else saying that I do have those traits, other people can say that all they want. These are the traits that I wish I had. And mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense to me. And going back to you making characters that you think they're they're funny because those are your strengths, mm-hmm. knowing you personally, those are also things that you wish you could make a sustainable living from mm-hmm. because if anybody that I in in my life could be a real life bard, that would be you. Nice, nice. And that's just not sustainable unless you're super famous. And that's like <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, you can't we're, just wake up taking, one day. We're having a real go at it, though. <laughs> we're trying real hard. We're trying real hard. And they also teach how to, like, going back to the geek therapeutics, this is not, like, a sponsored thing. I just thought it was super interesting because the the character creation aspect did not ever dawn on me until they pointed it out. And these are the educations that they're providing for, you know, other social workers, people who would provide therapy to patients, um, but also how to incorporate gaming as a form of therapy. I'm not sure what that looks like because I did not purchase the continuing education package, but I appreciate that that's out there because I imagine if you have somebody who's really hard to engage in therapy, somebody maybe on the spectrum, it would be really easy to engage them through gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not let's sit down and talk about the superior, super serious stuff. It's let's play a game yep. yeah. and let's just see where this goes. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I will say that, and you haven't. Have you run a game before, Ashley? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, I know Rick has. <laughs> From our experiences, game masters, have you seen like some of these things like happening, like people using gaming as therapy? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, not counting you. Not counting you. Oh, okay. No, I have it then. Sorry. <laughs> no. I know I'm aware of people, but that is the one thing a week they look forward to. Mm-hmm. And without knowing full well into their history, that might very well be the thing that's keeping them alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I can see it easily in the players that I've spent extended periods of time with. I mean, I've run a lot of one shots in my time and it's, it's more difficult to say, with somebody you play a game with, but like if it's repeated every week 
or multiple times. Like I've had two campaigns that have lasted more than a year and you can definitely, I could definitely see it in every single player in both of those campaigns as far Mm -hmm. as really working it out. And a few of them know it themselves. They a hundred percent know that they're working through things at the table and it has drastically changed the way that I DM because I try to not necessarily facilitate, but not, I try not to hinder Mm -hmm. when people are obviously working through something. Yeah. And I think a a good GM really, they want to make an enjoyable lasting experience for their players. They want to make the game enjoyable for people, but meaningful, especially if it's a long campaign. Um, And I will say that as a, as someone who games and has used gaming as quote unquote therapy, I believe that there is also kind of some unhealthy ways to do it too. Yeah. Avoidance um, that comes to mind. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. When you use it as constant escapism, it does become avoidance. And that Mm -hmm. is, I absolutely have found myself in that before. And I don't I don't know what happened in my life to kind of fall out of that cycle because I sure as hell didn't recognize it at the time. I, I would I would argue that most people with an avoidant personality or avoidant mechanism for any issues they're going through probably don't realize that. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I was just lucky enough to, I, I guess, get things together in my life, maybe get my head on straight maybe feel better about things. I, I don't even know what it was. I don't know what changed, but it, I just kind of started focusing more on life at that point in time. Now I wish I could game more because <laughs> I've gotten so focused on quote unquote real life. But right. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a healthy medium. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that even if it is escapism, escaping is good once in a while. Yeah. Um, and but by going to real life therapy yes and i think that actually go ahead Skill can be like hey so you keep mentioning this thing i think you might be using it in an unhealthy way like right that's the good thing about having a therapist they're not your friend they're not your family they don't know you personally so the things they tell you is like a stranger's impression. Like, I don't know how I come off to somebody I don't know. But having somebody break that to you in a very therapeutic way, these are the things I'm seeing, maybe let's try to work through these things. It's very helpful. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. And as far as establishing that healthy medium where, like, you are gaming and, like, using it correctly and not necessarily avoidance, I think that has a lot to do with the people who you game with. Yeah. And not to say that they're responsible for your mental health because you're responsible for your your own mental health, but making sure that you surround yourself with people who aren't doing that themselves and would say something if you were doing that. Like my gaming group, you know, when we had our year long campaign and we were getting together every week, we might get together for six hours four hours of it would be the gaming and two hours of it was, you know, beforehand and after where we were just talking. And Mm -hmm. if I was just playing with a bunch of people who sat down and started gaming and gamed until the time they left, there'd be a whole lot less 
talking back and forth and talking about things that are real and it would just be the game which i feel like wouldn't have worked as well um i think that kind of is what makes sure that either i got out of or did not enter avoidance when it comes to gaming and things like that it's it's the people who you game with a lot of the times Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because i mean hell depending on who you game with it could be detrimental to your mental health for that matter Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've been at the table with more than a couple toxic gamers. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a a, sub, a disclaimer I want to throw on here if you do plan on using gaming therapeutically is that a lot of geek spaces there's a lot of gatekeepers, a lot of toxic people, so like it, it just doubles up. You got to make sure who you're gaming with because oh. You don't want to try to implement this thing that's gonna try to make you feel better, and end up, it ends up making you worse because they're dragging you down. Right, absolutely. But I don't know where you found the the resource where they were doing the the geek therapy. But I stumbled across a couple uh, a little while ago. I also didn't purchase any courses, so I can't speak to how good they are or which one's better but if you're considering doing something like this i would recommend looking into them yourself but i found geektherapy.org which has 10 years of geek therapy they've been doing it for 10 years now where they've been using um, a gaming and geek resources in order to do therapy and game to grow which 100 percent focuses on training people to be therapeutic Game Masters and Dungeon Masters, um, which is GameToGrow.org. So if that's the kind of thing that you would want to seek out, I highly recommend checking out both of those websites. Once again, not sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) And you can come across a lot of YouTube videos that are really interesting to watch. Like I follow, I believe she's called The Truth Doctor, and she is a licensed therapist, and she will break down mental health issues that she sees in some TV shows. Like she will do reaction videos to episodes of Euphoria. Yeah. And she did Arcane. She did a couple of Arcane. Ooh, I'm going to have to watch those because that's wonderful. I I was, I watched Arcane and it's like, that is, oh boy, that is rife. That is rife with some issues. Yeah. Yeah. She breaks down a lot of shows. It's really interesting to watch because she is a licensed therapist. She knows what she's talking about. And she'll bring, I think, a better viewing experience of the show. Mm -hmm. I would look forward to watching her breakdown of episodes of Euphoria because I am not a licensed therapist. But there is all kinds of mental illness all throughout that show. And it's great the way she breaks it down. And I also watch, what is it? I think it's called Cinema Therapy. Okay. The two yeah. guys, the licensed therapist and the filmmaker will break down certain movies. Yeah. I really enjoy watching them too. Yeah. that Those those guys, I watched their video on uh, Encanto. And oh my God. Yeah. You guys saw that one too. Yeah. And that point in time, my daughter was absolutely obsessed with. Encanto, like it's it's she wanted to she called it the rainbow house and i mean it just being forced to watch that movie over and over again 
every day. After seeing that and seeing that broken down, I was able to appreciate it a whole lot more. Yeah, it brings a different, a whole different level of understanding to the the material, and I just love it that the the director guy will just be a bucket of tears and not care. Man, you know how long, you know how long it took me to figure out that I could cry and it's okay, dude. <laughs> so long, so ridiculous. It yeah, it took forever. Now it's you know what it took having a kid. It took having a kid for me to be like you know what I can cry and it's okay. Bear, there's nothing like going to a movie theater holding hands with your daughter and just crying because something's on on the uh, I think it was Pete's Dragon. Oh, I thought it was Star Wars. Mm, That's when she cried. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's when she cried a lot, and I was laughing because I thought that she was just kidding. And then mm-hmm. she just started breaking down. I'm just going to need you to tell a story. Okay, so we're, we were, oh, what was it? It was Rogue One. No. Yeah, Rogue One. And um, we were in there. and Oh, spoilers, but we don't care about spoilers. So people just started dying. And then the droid died. And, and she started getting a little misty at that. But then, like, people just kept dying. <laughs> it and it got to the very movie. end. Got to the end, and she was just like, everybody died. And that just, she was in the lobby of this theater just crying. And we're we're at the table, and I'm just like, you know, hey, you know, it's okay. And everybody's like going by, and they're like, oh, no. It's just, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. The cinema therapy guys did a breakdown of the, the newest Spider-Man. She cried at that. Oh, she cried on the breakdown? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and when we when we when we got the movie, she cried at that after seeing it in the theater. So I, I'm just convinced that that is just a movie that's going to make her cry no matter what. Oh, by the way, they're re-releasing it with eleven mi- minutes, eleven more minutes of footage. Buckets of tears for Lilith. <laughs> at least eleven minutes more tears. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that destroyed her. I mean, it is sad. Oh. Yeah. And then I remember we were watching Wolf Children. This is when she oh was God. real little and we were on the couch and she was like laying on top of me, but her little head was right here. And we got to like the really sad scene. I'm already misting up. Right. And I feel this little tear come down my oh. face <laughs> into my eye. And I'm just like I'm just <laughs> crying at that point. I'm like hugging her and she's crying and I'm crying. We're just like on the couch, just sobbing together. And it's just like, and it was a beautiful scene. That if anybody, if you've never seen Wolf Children, please watch it. It's so good, so good. I well, I'm also you know the resident werewolf fan too. So, oh fucking course, I'm gonna say go watch Wolf Children. But it's so good, so good. That butthole tried to get me watch. Was it called Graveyard of the Grave of the Fireflies? Oh jeez. Oh man. <laughs> and I just looked at her. Like, I know what that's about. Yeah, you're not watching it. <laughs> You yeah, pick? it's rough. It's, it's a rough one. Oh, man. Oh, what's that one? Promised Neverland. Apparently, she really likes that one, and it's rough, too. But I actually like that one. It well, is you rough. Know what? No, I'm not, not going to compare it to Graveyard of the Fireflies, because that, <laughs> that is 18 different kinds of just crushing, yeah. soul-crushing. Yeah. 
I believe Rick has on many occasions told me not to watch it. I believe that you on many occasions have told me not to watch it. Yeah. That's that's the levels of let me fuck your shit up because I really think that man is the sole reason for separation anxiety that I had and continue to have at times because fuck American Tale, fuck all dogs go to heaven. I love Hold both on. That's, of those that's movies. Don, are we talking about Don Bluth now? Yeah. Yeah. Because Graveyard of Fireflies is somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're, so, we're talking about Yeah, she now. just compared that to Don Bluth level. Oh, gotcha, up. gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, because fuck that guy. Now, to be fair, I can appreciate Don Bluth because I look like half of his male characters now. Okay, fair. I mean, that's not the other thing. I don't look like the other half. I look like the one half. He only does two men. That's it. He does. That's it. <laughs> they either look like a young Brad Pitt or an older Dom DeLuise. There's no, there's no in between. <laughs> I don't think you look like old Dom DeLuise though. Who? I don't think you look like an old Dom DeLuise though. Oh no! I mean, I'm just it's like the generalization. I mean, oh, the general vibe. The general vibe of bearded, tubby, and wholesome. Gotcha. Yeah, he does look a whole lot like Fievel's father, though. I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll fucking I've, cosplay that shit. I can't even get that in my mind right now. I've blocked them all. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I want to write his mom an angry letter. Do it. I don't think she'll get it, because I think she's dead. Probably. I think he's... Oh. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think so. I think you're right. Well, if he's not, he's dead to me. Well, if he's not dead, you've just killed him. Yep. Oh, yep. he's still alive. You've killed him. Guild decree. Don Blue's dead. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, no! That is the most vicious guild decree of all time. <laughs> but guild decree. I mean, I can't. How old is he? 84. Oh, that's a good haul. That is a good haul. I, I just want to let you know right now, if he dies between the time of this recording and the and the publishing of this episode, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> I'm cutting out that guild degree. It's getting edited out. I promise you that. I think we're safe, though, because I actually think he feeds off of the trauma of children. Oh, probably. So he's going to be fine. He, that motherfucker's going to make it to 115. There was a whole movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven where it's about dogs dying. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're... He's, he's feeding. He is feeding off of yeah. our sorrow. Yeah. He's healthy. <laughs> Anything particularly traumatizing TV movie-wise for you, Rick, that you can remember? As early um, as you can recall? Hold on, hold on. You can't say never-ending story. Uh, okay. So... When I was younger, there was a movie that I really, really liked. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. And I don't know why I liked this movie as a kid. But about a year ago, my nephew died. And I was having a really bad time with it. And even after I had... I'd spent like a month or two with my family in Maryland. And when I came back, I was kind of by myself in my house. And I still wasn't dealing with it well. And I was like, I remember liking this movie as a kid. I'll watch this movie and it'll make me feel better. And that was the worst idea in the whole world because the movie was My Girl. Oh, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I fucked up bad. And like, oh. I cried for hours 
because I decided I was going to watch My Girl. And I don't know if it, it, I, I can't remember if it was traumatic for me when I was a kid. The only thing I remembered is I used to watch that movie a lot when I was a kid. Like, I used to like that movie as a kid. What kind of weird kid was I that My Girl was one of my favorite movies? I don't know. But, yeah. Wait. I mean, well, yeah, it's a little traumatizing now, but yeah, it's a good movie still. It's, it is. It is I a mean, good movie. You know? I will. Well, I I'm... will probably still watch that at some point in time in the future, but I will have to have like time. Like I will yeah. have to like that. That will be the activity that I do for that day because it's going to ruin me again. Because now it's attached to that point in time in my life. So I'm yeah, so sorry for your loss. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been a tough one, and like with everything else that's going on with his mom right now, I I just can't even imagine. Ugh what that's like because now her her one of her other kids is just went through a major organ transplant so yeah oh wow oh wow that's a lot mm-hmm. a lot a lot it it took a lot of talking and it, it, do you mind if i speak out a little bit on this do you think it took a lot of talking with rick too and just everybody keeping you know keep in mind um where rick felt guilty that he felt bad because he didn't think that he had any right to feel bad because of what other people, because other people felt worse. It took a lot. And I know I'm not the only one that convinced him, but it took a lot to convince him that it's okay to grieve. Yes. And it was, it, it was especially rough at that point in time because the person I usually talk to about that sort of thing is my sister. And, yeah. like, she was the one person I felt like I could not, like, I feel like she was dealing with enough. And to, like, mm-hmm. pour that on top, like, I just did not want to. So I was keeping it to myself quite a bit, so. Well, I am glad you had a really strong support system. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Because uh, I don't know what could have happened if not. People are absolutely allowed to feel their feelings. There is no need to minimize your feelings. If you feel something, feel it all. Mm-hmm. And talk about it. Yeah, and and grief, I think uh, this is something that my family has been talking about a while, a lot recently, and that grief has no time limit. It doesn't. And a lot of us are still feeling that, like, like really hard. And it, I don't know why this one hit me so much harder than any other death that I had experienced in my life, like, but it's, it's a unique one. I mean, I I can say that, and I, I still think about it almost every day. And like this is over a year later, and it, it's mm-hmm. it's a tough one. Yeah, grief isn't a timeline as much as it is a time roller coaster. Oh, There's a yeah, down. yeah. Well said. Yeah, and you never really get over it. You just learn how to adapt with with a whole, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I've actually and I've realized too that that grief will come in different levels and come from different mm-hmm. directions too. Like, especially with the loss of someone, you're going to grieve, you're going to grieve that person's loss from your life. You're going to grieve that person's loss from other people's lives. You're going to feel bad for them as much as you feel Mm -hmm. bad for yourself. And then you're going to put this kind of, I don't want to say misplaced grief on what they are going through because, you know, that time has passed. But, you know, you still have that grief of, what they did go through and you know it's 
And then you got then you slap on all the what ifs and what could haves and just mm -hmm. a bunch of needless thoughts that happen and are going to happen. It's it's rough. It's mm -hmm. it's it's a lot. I mean, I think the biggest grief I ever experienced was with someone I wasn't even biologically related to. Like, I mean, I well, I mean, not even biologically related to by marriage, anything like that. Mm -hmm. I was just close with the family and it rocked me. Oh, it that one was rocked me. Yes. And I felt guilty for just a little bit. But then I but then I realized real fast, it's like, you know, this is my grief. This is this is my mm -hmm. grief and I can express that however I wish. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we talked about this too. You know, I didn't go to them and be like, Hey, I need you to help me with my grief because they had their own grief to deal with. Right. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, Rick and I talked about because, you know, he didn't want to go talk to his you know sister about this. And it's like, yeah, no, that's that's legit, you know, but you don't want to do that because it, you know, she's dealing with her own stuff. You should still still deal with yours Absolutely. with your support system and feel your feelings. So definitely, definitely, definitely a support system is wonderful. If you don't have a support system, I mean, I know not everybody is living in the same situations as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Do what you can. Feel your feelings at the very most. Mm -hmm. And, and it, know that it's all real. If you don't have a support system, I want to point out another resource that I stumbled upon uh, when thinking about doing this particular topic. Takethis.org. If it's a, it's a play on it's dangerous to go alone, take this. They have an entire page on free resources and things like that, that you can use. They have text therapists, call-in therapists, video chat therapists. They also just have counselors, and they have every crisis line you can think of listed at takethis.org. They're also the people who are responsible for AFK rooms most of the times at conventions. So they're, they're pretty... They know what they're doing. Awesome. I do, I do have something I want to bring up, something I just thought about just through the course of all this and stuff like that. We're talking about support systems and having people in your life that can help you. Tell, help you. I have my own opinions on it, but I want to hear your guys' opinion on it because I know that you've experienced it. I know you have. But I want to talk about trauma dumping. Ooh. This is something that I am especially, especially familiar with given... You know, we are in a geek, like a geek lifestyle kind of thing. I've noticed that a lot of geeks like to trauma dump. Um, yeah. And I stream and I used to do lives on TikTok. And I, you know, I have a couple followers on TikTok. So I've noticed that when I do stream or I did do lives once in a while, I would have people come in and just, you know, they'd be like, hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Well, not great and let me tell you why and they would just go into and it's not just oh i had a bad day at work no they just dropped some trauma on me so what are your guys's thoughts on that before i talk to any friends about some shit went down hey i had some heavy stuff do you have the mental capacity to listen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because when you are not at your hundred percent and somebody comes and dumps their purse you could react in so many horrible ways that just because you're not prepared, like give me a trigger warning before this conversation starts, 
That way, if I don't have the capacity, I can let you know and I don't further damage you and you don't damage me. Because if I'm already in a vulnerable space and you you give me your stuff, there's a risk I might take some of that stuff as my own. And that is not healthy. No. Yeah, that's a good point. Consent is key. Um, yes. And like having the person that you want to talk to, having their consent to talk to, to them about it is really important. And the other thing is, I don't want to be anything other than helpful to my friends. Mm -hmm. And if someone were to trauma dump on me and I wasn't prepared for it, I could have a reaction that would further hurt that person. And like, Correct. that's, that's terrible. And so like, you don't want to trauma dump on somebody when they're not ready. Cause you might think you're doing good for yourself by getting it out, but mm -hmm. they could say something or have a reaction that's going to put you in a worse spot than you were before you shared. Yeah. Um, you know, poison the well. So as far as what my take on it is, it's, it's good to get it out, but you want to make sure that whoever you're getting it out to, that you have their consent and that they're ready for that kind of thing. Because like Ashley said, you could hurt that person or hurt yourself more than you were when you first started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a big difference between, and like, just because someone asked you how you're doing, that does not mean you have consent. There's a big right. difference between there's ways to ask you. So like, in, in the situation we were talking about just a minute ago where I was talking to Brad about how guilty I was feeling. So Brad came to me, uh, I think it was in a text, and was like, hey, I noticed you haven't been yourself recently. I noticed you've been down and, like, you, you know, is everything okay? Like, the way he asked let me know that I could tell him that I was struggling. You know what I mean? It wasn't just, hey, bud, how you doing? You know, because mm -hmm. there's a difference. So just because someone asks you how you're doing does not mean you have consent to mm -hmm. dump that kind of stuff on them. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely be aware. Yeah. How, hey, how you doing? Definitely not a in these days. Hey, how you doing? Might as well just be hello. Right. Mm -hmm. That's all that is. It, it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. It's definitely not an open consent to drop your yeah. problems. And and. And I'm not trying to say this from a, you know, I think that, you know, your problems aren't important and that you shouldn't share them, but you have to understand that other people have problems. Other people are carrying burdens that they really may not be able to handle any more burdens, including your, mm -hmm. if someone says, Hey, I'm always there for you. That is still not mm -hmm. open consent to drop your trauma on somebody we're all going through some stuff and your stuff is important but you have to be sure that the person you're talking to is ready to help you yep and if you have a hard time realizing that my personal favorite when i used to work in the hospital my manager would come in and ask everybody how they're doing and one time i was in a real spicy mood and i'm like do you really want to know do you want the truth and i got the look of no i don't have time this is a courtesy thing. I was like, I'm doing all right. Live in the dream. Right. And read about my day. Like, if you can't take social, just ask. Somebody asks, hey, how's it going? How you doing today? Okay, is that like a real question? Mm -hmm. Because when I see people at work, they're like, hey, my name's Ashley. I'll be your nurse today. How you doing? And they'll say, fine. And I'm like, 
no, really. Yeah. When I said I, when I said I'll be your nurse today, that was your open consent, sir. All the things I want to know. I even want to know about your poop. Tell me about your poop too. Now, and I will say that this this goes in the other direction too. If you are that person that is being trauma dumped on, do not be afraid to set your boundaries. You are not the bad guy here. You are not the bad guy here. Do not take on more than you can carry. My mom used to drag it out of me. Like if I was, if she was like, how you doing? Like if I didn't say good, like if I said fine, then she'd be like, well, I know fine actually means you're feeling fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. So how are you actually feeling? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see calling somebody out on that. And if they're like, no, no, really, I'm fine. It's like, cool, okay. You know, give them that second chance. When your mom's saying that was essentially, this is your consent. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. is your consent. Yep. The whole, no, really, Mm -hmm. how's it going is a a really good indicator. And if I get that second, fine, no, I'm okay. All right, we're good. Yep. I think I, I will, in my area just the, how I handle fine. When I get that second fine, I will usually follow that up with that's cool. But I just want you to know that, you know, if there is anything you want to talk about, this is, this is where you can talk to me. You mm-hmm. can come to me later or whatever, but if you're fine, we're, we're good. Mm-hmm. I just kind of give them that extra reassurance. I'm dropping this now, but I want you to know I'm not dropping because I don't care. Mm-hmm. But again, or- that's not your responsibility because you're not responsible for someone else's emotions. You're, responsible mm-hmm. for your actions and how they may affect someone's emotions but yeah or if i really like positive communication especially if there's an issue like if you're mad at somebody and they know it and they want to talk about it right then but you are just too pissed off to talk about it you say yes i'm having an issue right now i need some time to process mm-hmm. but we revisit this issue at a later date when i can communicate better Man, I'll tell you what, that's that's smart, too. You, and I am this many years old when I was finally able to do that to somebody. Other than, you know, quiet treatment, doing, and then talk about it later. And then mm-hmm. it seemed like we were digging some old shit up. Right. Yep, just put it out there. There's something. I just need to think on it. And we will talk later. Perfectly acceptable. That's friends, that's families, that's girlfriends, boyfriends. Said that to Leon once. The cat... Leon needs that reassurance, though. He, he he did not pick up what I was putting down, though. He wanted to talk about it right then. Well, he's a son of a bitch, though. He is a son of a bitch. He's a pusher, that one. That's right. Leon's a cat, just if anybody's at wondering <laughs> who we're talking about right now. Leon's a cat. And he's a fucker. <laughs> I do have another subject, just to get your thoughts. And not even just to get your thoughts, but because I'm pretty sure I know how you guys feel about it. But also just so we can talk about it, and especially in terms of a the geek culture world. There is a thing going around in the TTRPG community called safety tools. Now, they've been around for a while, but they're just kind of now making a splash where a lot of mm, grognards are kind of pushing back against it because well, our table doesn't need them. So safety tools are essentially... They're essentially safe words for your table. So, like, and this is especially useful for tables where you have people that you don't normally game with. 
like especially like at a uh, con or something like that. That's yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. So you have there, and, and and obviously there are a lot of different safety tools that you can use, but uh, there is uh, one particular. It's funny. This is from Screen Rant. This is where I found this article, but it was written by Coleman Galaretto. Galaretto, but it's it is a uh, they're talking about three tabletop safety tools, and they even bring up it's like you know they could talk about these could be used in Dungeons and Dragons or horror RPGs like Vampire the Masquerade, and uh, like a lot of people will play D and D. It's like well we don't need safety. it's like. Okay, have you ever played Werewolf the Apocalypse? Have you ever played oh. Have you ever played Call of Cthulhu where <laughs> may need some <laughs> some safe words? But uh so like one of them, the first one is that they call it's called the X card. So it's basically um it's a card with a big X on the center of the table. If something happens, like and you need a red light, like right now, someone reaches out, touches it, they pick it up, anything. Doesn't matter, and as soon as they touch that, scene ends, skip the scene, no questions asked. Done. Hard stop, go. Right? Another one they they have here is lines and veils. So, they set this up beforehand, you get your hard lines out. These are the things we do not want in this game. And then your veils, it's like, mm, maybe I'll think about that. Maybe I'll get into that right there. Right? And then, and these two things right here, I believe that we are familiar with these things in a different context as well. Uh, a lot of... Uh, you know what? There's a lot of overlap with geek culture and the BDSM world. Oh, totally. We totally live in both worlds very frequently. It gets, very it gets frequently. real close to just being a circle. That particular <laughs> Venn diagram. Right, right. Run Fair and Star Trek. Those are both in there, I was, too. I was about to say, I think Run Fair is in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Bunch so dirty bastards, Inky, dirty bastards, and and Bandcamp for some reason I don't I don't know why. <laughs> um, but then this is another one that I actually hadn't heard of or thought of before, and it's called Stars and Wishes. And apparently, and I'll, I'll give proper credit for this one: uh, the Stars and Wishes safety tools introduced by a blog writer on the website for the Gauntlet RPG community. And again, I'm just reading verbatim from Screen Rant's uh, article here. Um, a modified version of the Roses and Thorns safety tool, Stars and Wishes, is designed to be a positive and affirming. Uh, is designed to be positive and affirming, a way for players and GMs to give positive, constructive feedback to each other post game without feeling called out. When a player gives a star to someone else, they describe a moment in the game they really appreciate. A good role playing, clever tactic, considerate behavior. When a player shares a wish with the rest of the table, they describe something they'd like to see more of in future games. And I think I really like that because I am a fan of positive reinforcement. Yeah. I'm a fan of it. And I think that there's a lot of people who are so used to just calling people out on their bad shit. There's so many people that are so quick to point out all the bad things when we should really be focusing on some of the good things, too. And right. even better, focus on the good things that someone else has done. Yes, we get it. You want to be the you want to be the protagonist of the game, but let's look at something somebody else has done. Show the group that you pay attention to the game and that you appreciate something that somebody else has done. And mm -hmm. I think that that will be a good tool for people to become better 
in terms of like gaming with a group. Yeah. You know, I was just kind of wondering what your guys' thoughts were on safety tools, those safety tools that I brought up, and possibly even some other safety tools that you have uh, in mind. Me personally, I have two things that I always do before games now. One of them I've done for a while now, and that's a wish list. Um, and these are the things that you want to see in the game. I never really thought of it as a safety tool before, but eventually I was like, okay, the way I use it, it ends up being one because it really lets me know the type of game that someone is looking for, which can really inform what type of game that they're not. A newer one I'm implementing now is a consent form. It's basically just a one sheet long thing with check boxes, with red light, yellow light, green light. Um, as far as what you are okay with, not okay with, there's also plenty of space for you to write in things that aren't on the sheet. For people I game with regularly, I feel like personally that's that's all what we're gonna need because you know people I game with regularly, if they need like a hard stop or something like that, we don't need a card. They can tell me, you know, hey, this isn't cool. Um, I need a hard stop on this. Now, if I were to be gaming with people I don't know, um, like if I ever signed up to DM at a convention, I might look into some of these other tools and decide which ones I want to use. But I, I said it before, consent is key. And when I say that, I don't mean about any one particular thing. I mean that about every part of your life and everything that you do, consent is key. So all of these tools just help with that. Good points. Good points. I think if somebody is DMing at any convention game, those should almost be mandatory. Because looking back at my convention days, I was a fucking minor playing games with grown-ass adults with some subject matter that might have been questionable. Nothing that I felt harmful to myself personally, but it's like, you know, maybe that could have been a trigger warning. And the only trigger warning we ever got was... When we played the worm game, when we were all worm creatures in a LARP, they were like, okay, so this this might get kind of dark, guys. You know, you're worm creatures. If you want to go off and do all these bad things, we do not want to hear in depth the things that you're going to do. We know that you're evil because you're playing worm creatures. This is the game. Mm -hmm. But if you're playing with people that you don't normally play with, it'd be smart to have. Or Definitely. You're, yeah, or like introducing a new person to the table. Yeah, and that and that should be something that the whole table could come together and just be like, yeah, we know each other and we know what we're about, but mm -hmm. we're gonna put this in here because one, we don't know what you're gonna do. Right. Two, you don't know what we are going to do. Mm -hmm. So this is here for us to keep each other accountable. Right. And like, this is I'll, fun times. Yes, this is fun times. That's what this is supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. um, and I see a lot of people online that, that, you know, they try to get into the whole, well, I know my table. We don't need this stuff. And it's like, okay, but do you know your table? Mm -hmm. How well do I mean, I get that you've probably known these people for years, but I, I mean, people I've known for years surprise me constantly. Yeah. Uh, there were, in fact, there was one person, I'll just say this straight up, there was one person that I knew for years, years, never would have thought that they would have been like this. He got drunk one time and got super transphobic. Mm. Never would have expected this out of this person. Immediately cut him out of my life. Now, 
Is it going to get that bad at the table? Pro maybe not. But you don't know what's going to come out. You don't know what these people are, especially like the, we've all been there. Hey, let's do an evil campaign. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, I get it. You're going to be evil and stuff like that. But at the same time, yeah, may maybe maybe you don't want to hear about so and so eating a baby. Yeah. Maybe maybe you don't want to get. I don't want to. I'll, I've played evil campaigns, but I don't want to hear about in detail someone saying that's what they do. It's like no, I no, I don't want to hear mm -hmm. that. It's like the fact that you put that much fucking thought into it is kind of worrying to me right now. So, so yeah, it's one of those things where maybe your table doesn't need it. Like that we keep using that word need. Maybe you th you're sure your table doesn't need it, but it doesn't mean you couldn't benefit from it. It doesn't mean that you couldn't find. It doesn't mean your game isn't going to be better for it. Me personally, I think for convention games, there should be something like the ESRB rating system for video games, where you're like, this oh, this yeah. game is rated T for teen, and it's rated T for teen because it includes this, mm -hmm. this, this, and this. And I'm not I, saying it has to be exactly the ESRB rating system. It could be right. similar to the movie rating system. Who knows? But I think you should at least get that up I, before joining any con game. I will say that when I played Living City, some of the games would have warnings on it like that. But even then, there were times where those games didn't have like the adult warnings and stuff like that. And like one of the players or even the GM took it to a place that was just like, what? Mm -hmm. There were two instances I can think of that happened at Gen Con and come to find out we we gamed over here and this person got really icky like there was icky stuff going on right and we're like me me and my friend were both like oh we don't we don't like this at all and we kind of gave the we gave the gm really low marks because you got the you got the mark your gm at the end of it mm -hmm. really low marks and uh she called us out on it like at the table before everyone left, she called us out. So why'd you give me low marks? It's like, um, we don't really have to explain that to you. The fact that you have to ask then went over to another table. This dude got super creepy too. Our characters acted out on it because we thought it was bad. And then they tried to tell us that our characters were acting evil. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. No, wait, no, 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 no. We were trying to stop this. Come to find out those people were married. Wow. Yeah, didn't even know. Didn't even know. Oh, fitting. Yeah, it was rough. Okay. It was rough. Life finds a way. Life <laughs> finds a way. <laughs> That's really entertaining. Yeah, I can just think of some of the, the LARPs that we did. Like, some of the, the content Jeff would throw in. Like, I know we could handle it, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's but that's the thing. Woo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think that he knew what we knew to expect. Yeah. Now, would I bring like someone else into if I knew he was going to do that, no matter what, would I bring someone new into it? Fuck no. Fuck no. No, no. no. Like the first non Jeff game I played, I was like, where's why he got the kid gloves on? <laughs> why he got the gloves on? I'm used to a, a certain level, mm -hmm. and I'm not getting it. I, I was almost disappointed. He was a yeah. great GM. I miss yeah. him. 
But yeah, and, and I will say that I I know that even safety tools would be beneficial at my table because there have been times where I've thrown in some like body horror stuff and like some existential stuff mm-hmm. and and thinking back on it because like I you know I was told that it was like super creepy and stuff like that and like thinking back on it is like you know if I would have went any few steps beyond that if I had someone that didn't know me it might have messed with them and mm-hmm. um so yeah definitely is something that probably would benefit and i and i think and it's and it's too i would also have to say this i'm one of those dms that are, are like well you know what if my players are uncomfortable they would tell me and they know that i would be comfortable with that and they know that i would stop thinking about that they may not know that they mm-hmm. may think that i might get mad or get my or my feelings might be hurt or it's just uncomfortable for them to come out and say they're uncomfortable Right. They don't, they don't want to be the wet blanket. And that's like, well, you're not a wet blanket. These yeah. are things that are hard for you, and that's okay. So so keep that in mind, people who have tables that you think that you know your table and they, you think that they know that they don't need safety tools or whatever. You may not know them. They may be catering to you. They may be trying not to hurt your feelings. They may try be. They may think that they're the odd one out and they will ruin the game. Don't assume that everybody's cool with shit. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. at least have a discussion with your table. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. For somebody to say they don't need safety tools, that tells me okay, you've gamed with these people for years and you've had multiple in-depth discussions about whether or not the subject matter bothers them or whether they have you know triggers that they're aware of and they've shared them with you, like all of that should be taking place no matter what anyway if you have a long-term group but it doesn't always i know we didn't talk about shit like that Mm -hmm. but that was also back when uh mental illness didn't exist that's true (laughs) true. you don't need safety tools because it's not real yep uh you know and that was and that was back when i still thought that being a man meant not having emotions yeah yeah the, the 90s it was a wild time wild time crazy time Crazy time, Jesus! <laughs> to think I miss them sometimes. <laughs> I do. Ninety nine was a great year. Oh, uh, spe- speaking of, someone is really big into how do they refer to it? Y two K grunge. She just shared that with me today. <laughs> like, yeah, mom, yeah, mom, but what about what about? She was talking about. Y2K fashion, and I was like, well, I remember there definitely being some choices, mm-hmm. some fashion choices <laughs> around that. She was like, yeah, but what about Y2K grunge? And I'm like, I don't remember a whole lot of grunge around that time, so she showed me a picture, and I'm like, oh, you mean skater gear, because that's what I wore when I skated, like mm-hmm. the big baggy thing, the chain wallet, well, I mean, the, the, yeah. jeans. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what grunge was. Grunge was essentially what cool. Gator Kids wore. He showed me, and I laughed so hard mm-hmm. at this Y2K grunge. I'm like, I don't... It was never called that. We were just called Skater Kids. Mm-hmm. And and if I was feeling fancy, my, my little goth kid would come out, and I would I would dress in all, all the gothy gloriness. But it was really hard to skate like that. So mm-hmm. I saw some people pull it off, though. Good on them. Mhm. Mhm. So yeah, that was my my good laugh for the day. Y2K grunge. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
but for real, new metal helped immensely with my mental health. Oh, really? How so? Oh my God. When, when, when corn got really super big, mm-hmm. like, I mean, namely the song daddy. Yeah. Where, you know, all this trauma comes out mm-hmm. and you know, the sobbing and it's like, holy shit, dude's got feelings. Yeah. And that's all right. It was very aggro and just, we have these negative feelings. Let's put them into our music. And they weren't doing horrible, terrible things. Like, this is my outlet and it is healthy. So then as a kid with new metal around that time, I was validated. Like, you know what? Thank you for telling me it is okay to feel that way. And that there are healthy ways to get that shit out. That's legit. Legit. Yes. Music was huge around that time. I, I mean, that just shows really, too, that, I mean, you can find find a lot of answers in a lot of different things mm-hmm. i mean because like music was never my outlet it still isn't i like listening to music but i don't find any deep meaning in it mm-hmm. but you know reading i i have been moved to tears many times reading books and have mm-hmm. found answers and have found questions which is i think i think finding questions is even better than finding answers Yes, I can thank American gods for that. Oh, man. Yeah, like I did not know I wanted to know that. I didn't know that was the right question to ask, but God damn it, that's good stuff. Yep, and that's it too. I didn't know that was the right question to ask. Yes, that question may lead to an answer, but you would have never got there without the question. So yeah, I think sometimes, sometimes finding the right things to ask or even knowing that you have to ask. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, is is because like like, you know, even even into I'll, I'll go into my sexuality as well, because I've, I've been very open about my bisexuality on on this uh, podcast. I know once upon a time, you know, I was straight mm-hmm. because that's what I was, because anything else didn't make sense. I would know I would know if I was gay or I I would know if I. Well, actually, even back then, I didn't even know bi was a thing. Yes, I I watched David Bowie and Queen and all those guys sing and stuff like that. But, you know, didn't know that bi was a thing. And I didn't know asking questions would lead to an understanding. So Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, if I did this, would I be gay? Is that what is that what this is? Or, you know, I, I see this I see this man and I find them attractive. Does that make me gay? What is mm-hmm. gay? You know, what level of gay? What, you know, what level of gay would I be? Is there an in-between? You know, and then mm-hmm. that led to discovering, you know, bisexuality and um, understanding that this isn't necessarily, there isn't an answer to this. Because I think that with me, it is definitely a spectrum. And I am on mm-hmm. a spectrum of sexuality that is constantly just moving. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, asking questions, I mean, it's like, I, I believe that there was even like, and there are questions that you have to answer too, because like, there are times where I would like, you know, I would even ask somebody else and it's like, you know, would this, does this make me gay? And they're like, well, a little bit. And it's like, what does that even mean? What does a little bit even mean? <laughs> My favorite but, answer was, does it matter? No. I, from a very early age, I'm like, it, it's all fluid. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, like you said spectrum 
Does and it I, matter? Not really, but I want to know. Right, exactly. And I think that that's the issue, is that to some people it doesn't matter. But to other people, they're trying to gain power over themselves. And when you name with names come power. And this mm -hmm. is, you know, this is something, again, from a book that I read, um, gave me this realization, is that when you name something, it gives you power over it. That's why if someone calls you something mm -hmm. bad, it's them getting power over you. When people reclaim a word and they use that word to describe themselves, that is them naming themselves and gaining, gaining power over themselves. So mm -hmm. when people look for labels, they are looking for power over themselves and them, their lives. And when mm -hmm. someone else tries to label them, that's why they get pissed off. Truth. Because Truth. that's that person trying to gain power over you. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I could very much be like, you know what? I like guys. And if someone's like, oh man, are you gay? It's like, whoa, man. Whoa. And then like later on, yeah, I'm gay. But that's me <laughs> gaining power over myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was always super uh, anti-labels because I found them to be restraining. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm this, then I can't also be this. So I, I always had a severe hatred of the over-reliance on labels. Like, mm -hmm. don't call me this because it's not really true of all these other things that I mm -hmm. am also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, will, I will agree with you. I was definitely like that at one point in time. Mm -hmm where it was like, you know, I hate labels. But then as I, and, the, and again, this is different for everybody. Mm -hmm. But that's when I realized that the reason why I didn't like labels is because everybody else was trying to label me. Right. And mm -hmm. they, weren't, they weren't letting me label myself. Mm -hmm. As soon as I started labeling myself and said, you know, fuck off, you don't get to label me, I already have. I gained so much power over myself. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why if someone if someone tells me what their labels are, whatever those labels are, it's like, cool, that's what you are. Mm -hmm. I will I will use your labels because that's what you are. Cool. And, you know, and that's why I try not to label other people. Mm -hmm. They are they are a complete non-entity to me. They are a human. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they tell me, yeah, obviously, I have my human social programming. Mm -hmm that yeah. I use to, you know, for self-preservation. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So obviously if I see a, if I see how someone is presenting, then obviously I will have my preconceived notions of, okay, this is how I have to do this to be able to survive. But until they start throwing their labels at me, then mm -hmm. that's what's going on. Yeah. Self-imposed labels are awesome, but the stress of feeling like you have to, Yes. Yes, exactly. Because that's more of what I'm talking about. Like I see oh, a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. Sorry. almost desperate to label mm -hmm. themselves. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, don't be in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that's going to change people times. Mm -hmm. oh. you, you don't have to know exactly <laughs> and say oh. what you are, and then be offended when you experience something that's contrary to what you labeled yourself. That's, that's don't fair. be in such a hurry. That's fair. It took me yeah. a really I, long time to realize I'm allowed to change out my labels. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Because for a long time, when trying to figure out who I was, and like I settled on a, a set of labels, and I'm like, I like these labels. 
And then if I ever felt a way that didn't match with those labels, I immediately thought I had to change to fit those labels. I'm like, I need to get back in my box. Like this was the box that made me feel comfortable. I need to get back in my box. And it took me a long time to realize I can just change the labels on the box and yeah, or just make it a fucking or just what make it a whiteboard. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's just an ever changing menu. You walk into the restaurant, the restaurant. What's on the menu today? Perfect. Yeah, people cling too much to an identity mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a thing that they think gives them purpose, and it's like sometimes that's got to change, and that's all right. And and sometimes no purpose at all is good for a while. Mm-hmm. Just like, coast through. Yep. Roll roll without some labels for a while. Mm-hmm. Be, you know, be a ghost, be comfortable, just, you know, you'll figure it out. And then you, then you'll lose it again. And then you'll figure it out again. It, what it's, would your ghost outfit be? My what? Your ghost outfit. Ghost outfit. Yeah. Like when people die, they're wearing clothes. Yeah. Ghost uh, you know what? <laughs> Y2K grunge. <laughs> <laughs> no, like seriously, I would probably... This is what it'd be, my my ghost outfit. I would be I would wear some jeans, just like like those those stove stove leg jeans going all the way to my feet where you can just see my little toes come poking out from the the hem of my jeans. Soaked soaked up water a little bit. Oh my god. About mid shin, right? Yeah. And then yep. <laughs> then you know, I got my got my chain and then I've got like a I've got like a weird like um oh like a like a shirt like a novelty shirt kind of thing and then that corn jersey I used to have got I got yep. wear that corn jersey and a bucket hat with a skull and a jester cap. People will think you died in the two thousands. Hell yeah! Like if they Hell ever yeah. see you, they're gonna be like, "That guy died in the 2000s. <laughs> that guy died in two thousand six specifically. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then that's a, that could be another, you know, aspect of mental health is if you're in geek culture, depending on where you're at, you dress a certain way to attract certain people, mm-hmm. but also to repel certain people. Like, yes, the way you dress is body armor. Mm-hmm. The makeup you wear is body armor. At least that's how I use it. I still use it like that to this day. Look, all three of us, all three of us are geeks. We know what we went through when we were younger. And, we and knew... I'm so happy they don't have to now. Right, exactly. Yeah, we we know what armor we had to put on when we were when we were young and into this stuff. And I think that it's it's geeks like the three of us that helped pave the way for these young younger geeks. Absolutely. I I, I definitely think that we brought like we helped bring a lot of attention to. I mean. It, I'll say that like geeks in the eighties had it even worse. I, you know, I'm just going to say that. And then you get into the nineties. It was still kind of bad, but as a geek from the eighties going into the nineties, I could tell that it got a lot better. Like I was actually gaming with football players and, you know, people from the popular crowd and stuff like that. And they were seeing how fun it was. There's a lot of fantasy stuff coming out. Geek more popular but and that was because the kids who were geeks were growing up and spending money on things that were geeky mm-hmm. yep so yeah do i think 
that we took a lot of shit when we were younger. Yes. Am I glad that we took that shit so that our kids could fucking run a D&D game when they're 10 years old? Yeah, I'm real happy about that. Mm-hmm. Real happy about that. Yeah. I was I was always the weird kid. I mean, for as young as I remember, I was always weird. Like, my mom even told me, I had so many issues with you when you were little and defending you from people. And then, you know, I got into school and all the kids were mean because I was the weird kid and all that good stuff. And now I grow up and all the weird shit I did is now popular. Mm-hmm. I love I absolutely love that. And my kid is weird and it is cool to be weird and a geek and a nerd. And I just love that so much. And I have so much hope for the generation <laughs> behind us because they're going to do some amazing things because they don't have all of the barriers mm-hmm. that we to break through. So I'm, I'm really excited. Now, for I do. I do have to ask you this because this is literally something I've never asked you before, which is surprising to me. So you have a weird kid. Yeah. I, I kind of know her. Yeah. A uh, bit. And I know how I feel, but, her being as old as she is going to school at the grade level that she is, how afraid were you of her going to school and getting picked on or bullied or anything like that? I was pretty terrified. Like, um, not gonna lie. I would really rather not have gone in and drop kick some children, but I was prepared <laughs> to, I was prepared to even more. So I was prepared to drop kick some faculty. Yeah. 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 And it's weird because I didn't really have a horrible experience with faculty. I had a couple of really piss poor ones, but for the most part, I had teachers that, yeah, yeah, they were underpaid and didn't have all the resources they needed, but they still very much cared about the students and were able to see things in some students and bring them out of a really shitty mindset. But the bad teachers I did have yeah, I was ready to drop kick people like that. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But are you genuinely surprised with the, I, I guess, the treatment she has or has not been getting in school? Very, very. I was so happy, so happy to hear that people aren't talking shit about her, putting her down. She'll even stand up for kids that are being talked about or put down. Like, if somebody's using transphobic language, she'll call them out on it. That's awesome. But to hear that's not commonplace as it was when I went to school, because I came around in a period where gay was used as, like, a negative connotation. Like, that's gay. That show's gay. That song's gay. Saying gay, something's gay, that's that's dumb. Mm-hmm. No, not cool. And that's something that doesn't happen now. It hits my and, ear weird now, just hearing you say yeah. that. Like, that was so commonplace when I was a kid. Just, like, it, it, it was just part of normal vernacular. Like, everybody did it. And now hearing you say that, like, that hits my ear weird. Yeah. So now I, I've taken to uh, replacing that with uh, heterosexual. That's so hetero. <laughs> How hetero of you. That's so hetero. Nobody's I, really picked up on it, but I think it's funny. It makes me giggle. I, I, do, I do think it I, I do think it's kind of funny what a, like a thing that she says a lot and something I've seen other people say a lot is if something happens that they don't like like um like let's just say they're playing a video game and this board is particularly hard it's like man that water that water level on Sonic is homophobic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I'm yeah. like, okay, I like that. That's fantastic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a much better use. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. But yeah, especially being in a small place like London, Ohio, I I would have thought the uh, persecution would have been more, but I'm happy that it hasn't been. Yeah. Yeah. I I am. I I think that if anything, not you know, don't get me wrong. I I hear about some of the you know bad things that people say and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, on a whole, I I really would like to think that this microcosm is proof that things are getting better. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I, now it's not good for everybody yet. It is far <laughs> from good for everybody. But I'd like to think again seeing these small changes changes where it would not have been like this 20 years ago it would not have been like mm -hmm. this 40 years ago no it's getting better yeah <laughs> we're still doing a lot of old white motherfuckers in london to die the fuck off <laughs> but there's also an indication i think that people are also handling their mental health better nowadays as well mm-hmm people are more aware of what is going on in their minds and in their hearts. And they, they are at least trying to do something about it, whether they're, you know, you know, avoidance or self-medicating, um, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the awareness is, but well, you know, not sometimes I will say all the time. Awareness is not enough. Mm -hmm. there, there are steps that need to be taken as well. Yeah, I see um, the self-medicating thing being more of an issue since COVID because people could day drink more mm -hmm. and now coming out of it, not able to do as much and they are having symptoms right. of, you know, withdrawal. So that's not great, but being aware of, hey, I might need some help. Mm -hmm. Just finding it is still an issue, but... Which the community's working on it. Yeah, which I think that mental health treatment is a lot easier to get, but it's still out of reach from a lot yeah. of people. Which it's is still a good thing to have. It is. We're still in the American healthcare system, and it's still expensive. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even even with insurance, it can be difficult to. Yep. But think that... I can afford this. That, and that's definitely something I wanted to point out, though, because I know we've talked a lot about getting therapy, talking to people and stuff like that. But I also wanted to acknowledge that that is, in a lot of cases, a very privileged thing to say. Um, yes. And I wish I had the answer. I mean, the answer. Well, the answer is, you know, universal health care in my eyes. You Mine know, too. Universal health care so that everybody can have access to the treatment that they need. Mm -hmm. But at this time. I wish I wish I had a better answer, but I, I don't I, I I I know that there are hotlines to call. I know that, you know, again, your friends aren't responsible for your emotional well-being, but they are also your friends. Mm -hmm. um, they can help. There are resources out there. There are programs out there that can be found if you look. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking from personal experience. I do know that my anxiety kind of gets in the way of finding the treatment that I need. Totally. Also, but. some of those programs, I mean, like you do need to research to find these things. And yeah. sometimes mm -hmm. you just don't have the spoons to do it. And mm -hmm. like, yeah. I get that. I get, I, I feel that so hard. 
and then mm-hmm. it, and then it comes back to you know finances sometimes you don't have the resources to even research mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it's hard to tell a depressed person yes you're depressed yes you would benefit from therapy here's a list of all these therapists in the area find one that you like call them make an appointment like somebody who's really depressed isn't going to be able to even fathom calling any yeah. number and then talking about, hey, I think I might be depressed. I might need some help. Come in, and then find out they don't like the therapist. Some of them might stop there. Like sometimes therapy is a trial and error. You got to find somebody that you like. Might take a couple tries, and it's very daunting. And if you put medications on top of that, again, trial and error. And a lot of those medications take a really long time for you to feel if they're working or not. A lot of people stop from side effects alone before. They even get to the therapeutic part. Yep. It, it's a very disheartening thing. It, it can be a terrible journey. And a lot of people might give up if they don't have the support, if they don't have a, a doctor or a therapist or somebody who has been through all these things and can tell them, okay, well, you start your medication. It's going to take eight weeks before you notice a difference. The medication's doing what it's supposed to do, but you're not going to feel anything for eight weeks. And then you might need a dose adjustment and then we might need to try all a different medication. And then if you don't know all these things or somebody to help bolster you or, you know, just keep trying, keep trying, they're just going to quit. It's hard. It's a ridiculous amount of work and it's very uncomfortable. Yep. And I mean, but, you know, just anybody out there listening right now that may be experiencing that struggle. Hey, we see you like seriously, yeah. it. it I know it's tough. I am still trying to move myself to the point where I can get a therapist. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure my insurance covers it, but it comes down to, you know, do I need to check? I, I have a Monday off. Mm-hmm. Do I use that? Do I use that Monday for therapy? You know, that that this day that I use to decompress and get ready for my next work day to breathe, to be a person. Mm-hmm. Do I use that now to go to therapy and lose hours out of my right. day? I get and, it. And, yeah. Truth be told, the best time to research a therapist or any number of therapists is when you're not in like survival mode, when you're not in like crisis mode, when you know you might need help, but you know, things aren't terribly bad right now. But if you're functional, you don't typically think about, well, hey, let me try to find a therapist. You don't think about it until shit hits the fan and you actually need it. But then right. it's too much to find somebody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, remind yourself when you're in a good mind space, maybe research some therapists in your area. You can call your insurance company and find local therapists that are covered under the plan. And, or you could call a lot of employers have employee assistance. It's like a therapist that you can talk to for like a specific number of visits that's covered by your company or it's very cheap through your company. So a lot of people will try that first. It's not a bad step. If you're if you work for somebody who offers employee assistance and you think you might need to talk to somebody, give that a shot. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm not a doctor. So take any advice I give with, uh, you know, that knowledge. But if all you've managed to do is listen to this podcast and take some of this to heart, let me tell you, there's there's a lot of people who saw what this episode was titled and didn't even click on it. 
There's a lot yeah. of people that heard us start to talk and was like, I don't even want to hear this. So mm-hmm. just yeah. the fact that you've, you've made it this far, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Absolutely. It's traumatic. I'm happy that you're here. I'm sure the, the people in your life are happy that you're here. And we know it's tough. We just got to keep swimming. Yep. I, I, I am a firm believer that birth is the first trauma that we experience. Absolutely. And it just doesn't stop. So. <laughs> nope. Definitely. You not, yeah. You do not need to experience a, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing in your life to need therapy. Some it's, it's helpful. And I can't stress that enough. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Casters Guild podcast. Ashley, if anybody liked what you had to say and they want to find you anywhere on the internet, is there somewhere they can do that? So I'm on Instagram. I don't really do a whole lot on Instagram, especially now because, you know, work, school, parenthood, no spoons to do the things. It's a Vina Cava or yeah, that's what I am on Instagram. And then I don't really do a whole lot on Facebook either. I was on TikTok. I don't do a whole lot with it. So I'm pretty much a non-entity right now. But get ready. Go follow now. Get on Get on the train before it starts. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good talk. Email us at castersguild at gmail.com. You know what? If you don't have somebody that you can trauma dump on and you just feel like you need to write for a bunch, just make sure you put in the subject line that that's what you're doing. And you can feel free to email us and I will read it. I promise you that. Check us out on all the socials. We are closing in on our 24-hour charity stream. So feel free to donate to CODA in honor of Faith's Fight. That link is in the description. And just make sure to just unclench your jaw, drink some water, stretch, check your posture, take care of yourself, and have a great one. See you in the next one. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.